0: Hello, it's been 129 days since the horror which has engulfed Gaza began and we've all seen what I would regard transparently as some of the worst atrocities of the 21st century. We don't know how many have been killed, violent deaths. Um, The official count is around 30,000 but that's believed to be a huge underestimate because of the number who've been buried under rubble and never identified as well as obviously deaths from the destruction of the medical system. Um, lack of access to food, water, Um, and yet the horror is only escalating, there is a planned military offensive against Rafa where the vast majority of the Palestinian population have been forcibly moved um, under threat of violence by the Israeli state. Now I suppose many of us following this would just think transparently huge numbers of atrocities have been committed, war crimes, and Israel is being investigated um, for genocide by the International Criminal Court because of South Africa's case. But separate to that, there is the International Criminal Court. So it's very clear we separate them. The ICJ is the UN court, the highest court in the world. The ICC is separate from that. Um, Now, there's been huge amounts of criticism of the International Criminal Court, uh, not least uh, its uh, chief prosecutor, its prosecutor, Karim Khan, who's actually a British uh, uh, lawyer. Now, there's no better person to speak to about this than our brilliant guest today, who's who is Professor of Law at Liverpool John Moores University, and he's crucially a member of the legal team representing the victims of Gaza before the International Criminal Court. Hey, how you doing?
1: Hi, morning. Many thanks for having me this morning, Owen.
0: It's a huge, huge, on, honestly. Um, just to begin then, let's just... One of the reasons I've been meaning to speak to you for a while, that we have, I suppose, a hook, which is, after huge amounts of criticism, we'll come on... To the background of um, of Karim Khan and the the criticisms against him, so he's a KC, a barrister. Um, yesterday, he tweeted that he's deeply concerned by the reported bombardment, reported bombardment. I don't know. Why I mean, it, it was a bombardment, just so we're clear there, and potential ground incursion by Israeli forces in Rafah. He says there's an on his office has an ongoing and active investigation into the situation in Palestine. It's been f- taken forward with the uh, as a matter of the utmost urgency. Uh, with a view to bringing to justice those responsible for Rome's statute crimes. All wars have rules, and the laws applicable to armed conflict cannot be interpreted as to render them hollow or devoid of meaning. This has been my consistent message, including from Ramallah last year. Since that time, I've not seen any discernible change in conduct by Israel. As I repeatedly emphasised, those who do not comply with the law should not complain later when my office takes action pursuant to it's mandate. So he says to all those involved, my office is actively investigating any crimes actively allegedly committed. Those who are in breach of the law will be held accountable. And then says he continues to call for the immediate release of the hostages. This is also an, it represents an important focus of our investigations, which is completely reasonable. Taking hostages, of course, is a severe grave war crime. But he also retweeted an article in the Observer newspaper Uh, by the journalist Simon uh, Tisdall, which is a searing denunciation actually of the mass slaughter of children in Gaza. It talks about the sheer number of children who have been killed, who have lost their parents, who have been severely named, Um, and and quotes Gideon Levy, the Israeli author who I've interviewed, uh, accusing the Israeli army of indulging in a violent rampage and of Israeli society refusing to reflect on the price it might ultimately pay, in which he says Israel is erasing generations in Gaza. And its soldiers are killing children in numbers, competing with the cruelest of wars. To me, that seems quite significant. I don't know what you think, because you're the, you're the expert. But that statement and him choosing just before that to retweet that article, it seems quite significant, is it?
1: Yes, I agree with you. I think that uh, both uh, the statement and his uh, retweet are uh, very significant and they are welcome actually actions by the prosecutor and in particular the fact that he needs to it he refers to acting with the utmost urgency i think this means that uh, at least now his office is putting in place effective investigations in relation to the situation in in palestine and specifically in gaza and that we could expect some uh, uh, development in relation to this investigation in the next uh, in the next few months maybe not immediately but in the next few months it seems that from his words that these cases might concern war crimes because he specifically refers to violation of international of international humanitarian law so i think first of all it's a positive it's a welcome statement in light of this because the prosecutor is showing a commitment to faster actions on the other side i think this also shows or maybe confirms a uh, a shift in his approach to the situation in Palestine, Uh, because this can be uh, technically labeled as a preventive statement. Preventive statement is part of the policy of the Office of the Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, which means to put perpetrators on notice, to just send a message that the Office is looking at uh, alleged international crimes uh, currently being committed and could intervene if these crimes are not being stopped. Uh, it as I was saying, it's part of the Office of the prosecutor policy, but Karim Khan has always been very reluctant in issuing the preventive statement in relation to the situation in Palestine, in contrast to his predecessor, the former prosecutor uh, Fatou Ben who has adopted this policy in Palestine. For instance, in 2018, Bensouda issued a statement in relation to the forced eviction of a Bedouin communities in the West Bank, and that, had, that action to send, to issue a preventive statement to Israel, had a clear deterrent effect. For instance, at the time the government announced its decision to stop this eviction, just specifically mentioning the intervention of the International Criminal Court. While Khan, as I was saying, has always been reluctant, in November 2022, 198 human rights organizations explicitly sent him a letter in which invited him to issue a preventive statement in relation to the escalation of violence in the West Bank and in relation to the designation of Palestinian human rights groups as terrorists by the Israeli authorities, but he simply ignored that call by, this, by the Palestinians and not only organizations. So, uh, and actually, it seems that this was not part of his policy to issue preventive statements, but this is justly in contrast to what, for instance, he did in Ukraine, because in Ukraine, he issued, since the beginning of the war, of the Russian invasion, he issued a number of preventive Statement. So as I was saying, it's a welcome development. It's a shift in his approach, which shows finally that he is also adopting this policy that might have a deterrent effect. Although I believe that at this stage in Gaza, uh, it's not only it's not a matter of any more of a preventive statement. It's crucial to have specific concrete cases and uh, specific requests for arrest warrant or someone to appear.
0: Uh, just before I ask a bit more about him in relation to Palestine and some people again might get confused just about the international legal system because obviously people are aware of the International um, um, Court of Justice and the case South Africa brought and um, the International Criminal Court is completely different so can you just explain what it is um, and it's just in terms of you mentioned Ukraine because about o- over a year after Russia's invasion The ICC did issue arrest warrants, including for Vladimir Putin himself. So just worth just explaining what the ICC is and how it works in that kind of way.
1: Well, of course, uh, I mean, in contrast to what we can maybe read most of the times on newspapers and make a confusion between the ICJ and the ICC, they are completely different uh, judicial bodies. The the International Court of Justice is judicial body of the United Nations, as you correctly said. While the International Criminal Court does not have any competence on state responsibility, it deals with individual criminal responsibility on the assumptions that, behind international crimes, there are individuals. When we say international crimes, we mean in particular genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity, and potentially the crime of aggression, and can intervene only if a state which has jurisdiction over these crimes is unable or unwilling to prosecute alleged perpetrators of this crime, so it's a so it's a court of so-called court of of last resort dealing with individuals and not with uh, with states. Uh, it has competence in the specific context of Palestine because Palestine in 2015 has ratified the Statute of the International Criminal Court, has been admitted as a state party. This has been recognized by the Trial Chamber decision. Uh, um, recently, and so the court has jurisdiction over all the international crimes allegedly committed on the territory of Palestine, even by Israeli nationals. Israeli Israel generally argues that the court does not have competence to deal with the uh, uh, with uh, their citizens, but this is not so from a legal perspective. As I say, that the court intervenes because Palestine has accepted, has ratified the statute. While in Ukraine, Ukraine is not a state party to the ICC, but Ukraine has accepted the jurisdiction of the court and that's why the court can investigate uh, alleged international crimes committed on the territory of Ukraine, even by nationals of other countries.
0: And that's an important point because, as you say, lots of people might have seen that Israel doesn't accept the jurisdiction um, sure. of the ICC. My understanding is it's not just so you've got obviously PLO, you've got FRATA, but is it true that Hamas have accepted the jurisdiction of the ICC as well? Or have they not? Uh,
1: uh, well, I mean, Hamas is mean, it's not a state party. So it's not up uh, to Hamas to accept the jurisdiction. What, From a legal perspective, what is relevant is that the state of Palestine. He's, uh, has ratified the statute and so yep. that's why not only ratified but also referred the situation in Palestine to the International mm-hmm. Criminal Court so that's why the court has come independently on any armed group's positions mm-hmm. in relation to the SEC.
0: So even though we have in practice a divided entities of the West Bank and Gaza, officially in international or the state of Palestine encompasses both regardless of the political entities governing both that are different?
1: Exactly. That's irrelevant for the SEC. The court has competence over international crimes alleged committed in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and in the Gaza Strip, as clarified by the judges in February 2021.
0: Got you. That's interesting. Just because, again, people get confused, particularly, obviously, with the ICJ, because people go, well, Hamas isn't party to this, that, the other bit. In this case, what matters is the state of Palestine and therefore the authorities in both, that's, that's not relevant. That That's really important. Um, in terms of just Karen, um, Karen then, vi- I don't know, I'm on, on first, first name terms with him. Karen Khan, who visited after the 7th of October atrocities, and obviously one would expect him to investigate uh, the atrocities committed on the 7th of October. Um, but he came under huge amounts of criticism because when he visited, um he did go to the occupied territories in the West Bank, but he uh, he was refused entry to Gaza. That's my first understanding. But he uh, refused to go to settlements. Um, and he did meet with victims, but only very briefly. Just explain what, what the criticism was when he visited sure, not sure, after sure. the event.
1: Uh, So I think it's important to um, clarify that before October 2023 the prosecutor has been almost completely silent on the investigation in Palestine, despite the investigation was open. Uh, has been opened since uh, March 2021, as I said, by the former prosecutor. So, since Karim Khan took office in June 2021 until October, 29th of October 2023, the prosecutor had been almost, as I said, completely silent. He had not put in place any effective investigations, as is shown by a number of uh, of issues, for instance, uh, Uh, He assigned the lowest budget to the investigation in question in Palestine. Uh, which was the lowest, just to be clear, one-fifth of the budget uh, allocated to to Ukraine, for instance. He never deployed any investigators, n- no, no staff investigator from his office visited Israel or, or Palestine. And as I said before, he never issued any preventive statement. So it seems that the prosecutor realized that there was an open investigation after the facts of the 7th of October, in particular on the 29th of October when he visited the Rafa border. Since that moment, which was a positive development to be clear, he undertook a number of actions, issued a number of statements, including the visit to Israel and Palestine that you were mentioning. On one side, this could appear, as I said, as a welcome development, but at the same time, it was, uh, I think, also showing uh, disturbing the signals of uh, continuing uh, continuation of the policy of double standards and selectivity. Why I'm saying this? Because the prosecutor, for instance, immediately accepted the invitation of uh, Israeli victims, of uh, families of the victims, which to be clear, it's part of his mandate, and this is what everyone would expect it from an international prosecutor. But what w- what uh, one will not expect is that until that moment he had refused. To meet with yeah. Palestinian victims yeah. he had refused to meet with the legal representative of uh, Palestinian victims as well as with the Palestinian human rights organization that have made a huge uh, huge efforts uh, uh, by cooperating with the international criminal court so far and by providing information and evidence in this way i think he showed a sort of discrimination of victims on the basis of their nationality or ethnicity This changed, as you were saying, when in Ramallah, at the beginning of December, he met with the Palestinian victims in Ramallah. But at the end, it came out that these victims were very disappointed because he had allocated just 10 minutes to meet more than 10 victims. One of them was a woman coming from Gaza who had lost 30 family members. So they showed clear disappointment, and they were again concerned that the prosecutor was continuing with his policy of double standard, looking at a different approach that he was uh, having in relation, as I said, um, to uh, Israeli victims and Palestinian Palestinian
0: victims. That's it. It's quite shocking just hearing that spelled out. It doesn't seem to bode well. I mean, it just it, those are choices he's made, but it quite overt.
1: Uh, Yes, I mean, this is, as I said, uh, appears uh, appears, uh, quite uh, disturbing. On one side, as I said, you would expect that's part of this mandate and it's really a positive development. On the other side, it's really difficult to understand why at least until that moment, at least until December 2023, the Prosecutor has really refused any formal engagement with the Palestinian victims or Palestinian legal representative of victims and human rights organizations.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, as I know it's a good here for meeting with Israeli victims, but the double standard there seems pretty shocking. But I mean, this, this is a systemic problem, isn't it? Um, that what we're talking about is, the double standards which have long been applied obviously yeah. in terms of Israel and and Palestine um because what we've seen in the past few months is shocking and as i said reasonably they are some of the worst atrocities of the 21st century we've had obviously horrible wars we've had we've had syria we've 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 had um, what's happened in Libya, we've, we've had obviously Ukraine, we've, uh, you know, we've Congo, Democratic Congo, we've had lots of horrible atrocities, but these, I mean, reasonably clearly rank up there. Um, but in terms of before that, there's been a long history of, of other, you know, 2014, uh, 2008, 2009, um, Israeli onslaughts where Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the Israeli human rights organisation, Bethlehem, have documented two things: one, widespread alleged war crimes and two, the failure of the Israeli state to take any measures against those who have clearly committed alleged war crimes. Um, so what what in terms of double standards with the ICC and the whole international system what what's that meant in practice before this even happened?
1: Sure. Uh, If we talk about the double standards, I think, please just let me uh, say a few words about uh, what I was saying before in relation to Karim Khan approach to the situation after October, because as I said, on one side, this was a positive, was a welcome initiative, but on the other side, as I said, was raising uh, concerns of double standards, not only in relation to the engagement with victims, but also when he spoke about alleged international crimes that his office was investigating. He was very strong and accurate in Condemning, firm in condemning Hamas attacks, and again, that's part uh, mm. that's uh, really in line with what uh, one would expect it from him. But on the mm. other side, one could not fail to notice the imbalance of words and how he was, on the other side, approaching what was happening in Gaza or in the West Bank as well. For instance, in all these statements, he focused a lot on non-state actors' responsibility settlers' violence, but he never mentioned settlements and the policy of the states which are relevant under the Rome Statute because these are war crimes and are less... Ad- uh, are less uh, Um, He he says something different. I mean, these are still part of the investigation of his his office. He never mentioned uh, the killing of hundreds of people by the IDF or by settlers in the West Bank. As regards Gaza, he never mentioned the mass killings uh, almost 30,000 people at the moment in Gaza. He never mentioned the the extensive destruction of civilian houses and infrastructure in the West Bank he omitted any references to the context in which uh, this war is taking place, which is the context of a siege, which was already going, blockading Gaza for the last 16, 17 years, and which itself may amount to a crime against humanity, so that's why it's relevant under the statute of the International Criminal Court. But as you say, this is a systemic prob- problem which comes from far. The International Criminal Court has failed in relation to the situation in Palestine since 2009, in 2009, the state of Palestine accepted the jurisdiction after the military operation in Gaza uh, Castled, and after three years of uh, preliminary examination, the then prosecutor of the ICC, the Argentinian lawyer Luis Moreno Campo, who in these days has been very vocal on what's happening in Gaza, he decided... Uh, to not open an investigation, to say it better, he decided not to decide, because he said that it was not clear whether Palestine was a state, and he delegated this decision to political bodies like the UN General Assembly and the ICC Assembly of State Parties, but even when the UN General Assembly decided in November 2022 that that Palestine was a state, Uh, to make it shorter, he never went back on his decision. So uh, just to make realities short, I will say that the biggest problem here is the exceptionalism with which the International Criminal Court, but not only, uh, more generally, Western states, not only so international organizations, with which they have treated the most serious allegation, uh, violation of international law when it comes to Israel. This exceptionalism is uh, clearly in contrast to the, to the approach that uh, the ICC, but also states, have had in other contexts. And here, the most, uh, of course, clear case is, uh, is the one in Ukraine, for instance. The same court has been very Uh, swift and prompt in uh, the office of the prosecutor here in requesting arrest warrant against Russian nationals, uh, while after 15 years there has never been a request of arrest warrant or summons to appear in Palestine. I strongly believe that the impunity enjoyed by Israel and by the Israeli leaders, political and military leaders, is one of the main causes of the serious violation of international law, which may amount to war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. For the first time, this impunity has been uh, uh, violated by the decision of the International Court of Justice. But this never has this has not happened in relation to international criminal international criminal tribunals. So. Uh, uh, as far as this uh, exceptionalism is ongoing, as far as in particular here Western states decide to uh, to place Israel above the law, above international law, I don't think this will be the last war in Gaza or so will be the last... Uh, uh, serious violation of international law that we will have in the specific, in the specific, uh, in the specific context. If I can add this, Owen. Sometimes the arguments used by states in order to create a double standard and to place Israel above international law is that it's not a matter. It's not a matter for international law here. It's a politics that they have to decide. They have to intervene because an intervention by an international tribunal could have an impact, for instance, on an alleged peace process. The question, of course, is which is the peace process ongoing? I mean, we have clearly seen the last, which is not really a peace process, last attempt was uh, the so-called uh, Trump uh, plan, uh, to uh, which was a plan of annex- annexation of Palestinian territory without the involvement of Palestine. So the arguments generally used also by states, I think, are really, um well bias and showing how when it comes to uh, powerful states like in particular israel international just, justice for western states has to remain asymmetrical so as to be implemented only against some states but not against other states ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices So it will be long.
0: No, no, that's that's brilliant. That makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. I mean, before just in terms of because I'm interested in whether that the question of impunity and, and that disintegrating. I mean, it's just actually just following on what you just said there. When I interviewed uh, Razi Gal, who is an Israeli American um, associate professor of genocide and Holocaust studies, in which he he described what's happening in as as textbook genocide, and one of the reasons he said that was the question of um, intent and. And um, the reason that's in that he said it's very rare in history for basically the leaders of a state engaged in genocide to be so open in stating that in public, you know, you, you, often they, they close what they're doing in in denial, humanitarian, pseudo humanitarian defences, that kind of thing. And um, It's rare for that to happen. And I guess the point you're making there is that's actually to do with impunity, that you basically have an Israeli leadership which quite rationally thinks it can basically get away with anything. Um, and if you get that impunity, it leads to arrogance or... well Is it even hubris if you know you're going to get away with it? You basically... The reason they speak like this, the reason they say genocidal things in public, is they think we're immune, we're protected, we're not going to suffer any consequences so we can be open and honest in what we say, and in and in this, you, you know, Western politicians and many media outlets just took a blind eye to this rhetoric. It's almost like it never happened. It's not, not framed our understanding of the war. So is mm-hmm. that basically that's why it's to do with impunity? That's what you argue.
1: Exactly. That's what I was trying uh, to say. I mean, when I say that impunity is one of, uh, for me, one of the main causes behind, you know, this serious violation of international law. The awareness that. Uh, uh, whatever you put in place in that specific context, you are going you know, to, to escape justice. Also because uh, from a, an individual criminal responsibility perspective, there is no alternative today at the International Criminal Court unless we look at some specific states using universal jurisdiction and it appears that there is an ongoing case, for instance, in Switzerland against the Israeli president for international crimes. But generally, the state that should uh, here have a legal obligation to exercise the jurisdiction, first of all here are Palestine and Israel. Palestine is unable to prosecute for a number of reasons, you know, Israeli political and military leaders, but Israel, in contrast to the rhetoric that we hear a lot by states but also by media, is unwilling to uh, prosecute, investigate any uh, political or military leader for serious violation of international law, you won't find any criminal proceedings domestically in, in Israel for the alleged commission of international crimes. Despite the fact that we are talking of one of the most over documented contexts for the alleged commission of international crimes, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. We hear a lot of these saying that Israel has a, a, a working judicial system that can bring to justice perpetrators. To be honest, this does not reflect the position of the human rights group you were mentioning before, even Israelis. Uh, the Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem, together with the Palestinian Center for Human Rights in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, they have uh, provided a very detailed assessment in which they show how the Israeli military justice system is put in place to whitewash war crimes, in particular in relation to the Great March of Return, in other words, is put in place to shield perpetrators of international crimes rather than to bring uh, justice. And that's why, for instance, in contexts like the Gaza War in 2014, Protective Age, there has not been any Uh, attempt to uh, try political or senior leaders, to the extent of my knowledge, only some soldiers have been convicted for the theft of a credit card uh, to Palestinians in the West Bank, despite again the abundance of evidence, not because I say it, but because it's been uh, uh, documented also by UN independent commissions. Of inquiry, which have established since 2007 8, so castled military operation that Israel has put in place. There are reasonable grounds to believe that Israel has committed war crimes uh, in this specific case in in the Gaza Strip. What is surprising and concerning for a lawyer in particular is that when it came to Ukraine, states put in place an uh, unprecedented call for accountability. They, 43 states invoked the intervention of the ICC. They provided ad hoc funds to the International Criminal Court. Uh, they proposed, including the UK, the establishment of special tribunals, including tribunals for the crime of aggression. You know, in this list of states, there are uh, several states which have formally opposed to an investigation in Palestine. This is the policy of double standards, believing that there are some individuals that should be brought to justice and some victims that deserve to justice. In other words, discriminating the perpetrators and victims on the basis of their nation, nationality or ethnicity. It's is not a, only a problem, just to be clear, for the victims in this context. This is a problem for the credibility and the legitimacy of the entire international justice system and more generally of the international law order that has been created after the end of the Second World War.
0: Just before I ask, just in terms of where this could end up, um, there's the question of funding, isn't there, which people might not be aware of, which is the ICC needs, I mean, there was a previous investigation, I can't remember, was it into... Alleged US war crimes, perhaps in Iraq. (laughs) I could could have got that wrong. But (laughs) they. they, So you said again? UK in Iraq and the US in Afghanistan. And and they abandoned. Oh, yeah, of course, that's right. And they abandoned that because of lack of funding, basically. So there is a question of funding from donor states. Could you explain, expand why that's? What, well, is- uh,
1: yes. I mean, of course, the the court cannot uh, does not have uh, the means to investigate all the international crimes alleged committed. You know, in all the contexts in which it has the jurisdiction. This is a potentially a universal. Uh, Uh, which could have universal jurisdiction on the basis of uh, referrals by the Security Council. Uh, In uh, in, in Iraq, the former prosecutor here decided not to continue with the investigation because it said that uh, the UK, so the British authorities, uh, had the jurisdiction and they were willing and able to exercise this jurisdiction. Uh, over uh, uh, British national, uh, nationals alleged responsible of war crimes in Iraq, despite the fact here that there has never been any effective uh, investigation and prosecution, and despite all the pressures by uh, the different British governments over uh, uh, independent commissions, uh, uh, national commissions for the investigation. In Afghanistan, The first decision, official decision, uh, taken by Karim Khan was to freeze the investigation against US nationals, so members of the CIA and of the army, in relation to war crimes allegedly committed in Afghanistan, uh, including the widespread and systematic use of torture of detainees in Afghanistan, we all remember the images uh, at the time. So, and specifically, uh, that's correct what you say, he referred to the lack of resources to uh, uh, freeze this investigation. But then at the same time, he was uh, uh, requesting uh, funds in relation to the situation in Ukraine and states provided ad hoc financial contribution. I think that uh, uh, the lack of financial resources is a problem for an institution like the ICC, but at the same time, ad hoc financial contributions are very problematic because uh, they enable states to decide where the prosecutor should look at and which investigation should be prioritized. While Uh, The states, state parties of the SEC should just provide their financial contribution to the court and then it's up to the court, and in particular to the office of the prosecutor here, to decide how to use these resources. I think the same applies also to Palestine, not only to Ukraine, so uh, uh, establishing on which investigations this fund should go uh, is a violation of the regulations of the court in medius.
0: Finally, what I like to talk to you is about is something I, th- I think will be on people's mind throughout this, which is the, you, we, we started obviously talking a lot about impunity, which Israel has long enjoyed. You can see that crumbling, um, the fact that South Africa's case, um, at the International Court of Justice, and then provisional measures being issued, which, I mean, several, a senior UN official amongst others has said Israel's clearly in, in breach of, or they said, I think, it seems as though they might be in breach of, which was diplomatic speak, I think. Uh, but in any case, um, you know, and you can already see public opinion shifting in play in, in various countries, which Israel has long depended on for support for weapons, for example, Western leaders responding to that, not by doing anything, I suppose, with the levers they actually have, uh, but by their rhetoric getting a bit queasy about, what, mm-hmm. about Israel's behaviour. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, could you see a possibility where you end up? Obviously, people will be thinking of Benjamin Netanyahu being prosecuted, and but you know, the defense minister you mentioned Yovel Galan, who implemented the siege, and uh, well, did two things actually. He well, many things, but two key points I would say is he called for a siege of everything on the basis they're fighting human animals. But less remarked upon, though the ICJ remarked upon this in their judgment, and. Um, is that he called for all restrictions. to He said or he'd removed all restrictions on the Israeli Defence Force, which is, for some reason, never really commented upon. So do, do you see this as possible? Do you think, is it possible one day you could end up with Israeli leaders, generals, Israeli soldiers who keep posting what mm-hmm. many of us would consider to be clear war crimes on TikTok for comic amusement for Israeli domestic you know, consumption? Is that, theoret- could you see that happening? Is it possible?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, the answer is yes. I think that's uh, that's possible. Uh, from uh, what uh, 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 we have seen so far, from uh, the really the, the the evidence in relation to the. Uh, alleged commission of international crime, specifically in Gaza but not only in the West Bank, this entails the involvement of political, uh, political and military Israeli leaders. So to be honest, I will be surprised to see requests of arrest warrant against the so-called small fishes. in this case soldiers, rather than uh, uh, directing the criminal uh, proceedings against uh, senior and political leaders. The prosecutor, in a previous statement, he mentioned an investigation in relation to starvation, which is a war crime under mm-hmm. the okay. Statute of the ICC, depriving uh, pop- civilian population of essential goods like water. Um, fuel, electricity, and food, and we have seen the effects of this total siege. No, even premature babies in uh, in the West in the Gaza hospital have died because of the lack of electricity. So, uh, in that case, if this is one of the war crimes, is going to select? Uh, I mean, uh, everyone would expected the. the um, Charges raised against Israeli political and military leaders, in particular, as you were mentioning, the Minister of Defense uh, Gallant, who established the, the total siege. If this goal going to look uh, at genocide, of course, this will call into question the responsibility of those senior political leaders who have made clear genocidal statements and have shown, as agreed by the uh, the International Court of Justice, uh, a plausible genocidal intent, which is generally the most difficult intent uh, element of genocide uh, to prove. Of course, then the question will be whether or not this arrest warrant, in case they are issued against uh, by the judges, not by the prosecutor, against uh, Israeli military and political leaders, are going to implement it or not. The court has issued so far a number of arrest warrants, including against Putin, that have not been implemented. But this does not mean that they are not effective, that they are not useful, or that uh, on this basis they should not be issued, because they can have a number of effects also on political grounds, but in particular they could be implemented uh, in in the future, like it also happened in relation to other international criminal uh, trials. So just to conclude this, I mean I would expect uh, action at this stage by the prosecutor, he has announced with the utmost urgency, and this action uh, I would be surprised if it did not concern Israeli political and military and uh, military leaders. Here it's not a matter only a matter of individual criminal responsibility of soldiers. Here it's a matter of the rules of engagement that the soldiers have received, and as we can see it, without any restraints, without any respect of basic principles of international humanitarian law. So the orders to violate the principle of distinction, in other words, bombing. Uh, hospitals in general civilians and civilian objects comes from above, comes from senior political and military leaders. And this is the ones that generally the international criminal tribunals looks at, at the their responsibility, the major responsible of these crimes.
0: So just finally on that, I mean, because as you know the ICC did issue a response, for example, against Vladimir Putin. I mean, he w- he was supposed to travel uh, to South Africa, to Cape Town, for a international conference, and the South African government warned that they would actually legally be obliged to arrest him, so he he, he didn't. I think he had to join on Zoom or something. Um, but the point is, I suppose, which is, yeah, in theory, you could get arrest warrants issued, but I guess, you know, if they were issued this week or next week, which obviously won't happen, but just theoretically, just you know, if that happened, the point is like, who knows how things can shift in five or 10 years? Who knows how, you know, in the, the the winds can change and you can already see Israel's impunity dissolving a bit. And we don't know how things will shift in five to 10 years. We live in a very, you know, a, a, the world is in flux. The global South is fluxing, flexing its muscles more than it did. Hence South Africa's case. So you could end up with an arrest one and then five, 10 years, who knows, 15 years. But there yeah. could still be justice in the future at some point, theoretically. That's not out of the question.
1: If I can add on that, uh, but just looking at the International Court of Justice, you know, I have had a lot of criticism to the International Court of Justice because its decision is not cannot be executed, cannot be implemented. It's legally binding, but then there will be no effect. I think this is not true at all. We are already seeing the effects of uh, the intervention of the International Court of Justice in establishing accountability for the first time since 1948, in establishing accountability for Israel. Uh, A number of uh, of companies are just ending their cooperation with military Israeli military companies, including public institutions like in Belgium, and yesterday the Dutch court decided that the Dutch government had to stop the sale of parts of jet fighters F-35 to, to the Netherlands. So what I'm saying is that we are already seeing the effects, and if the ICC is also contributing to put an end to impunity in this specific context, the effects will be, will be even more. And to be clear, at this stage, especially after the intervention of the ICC, the prosecutor cannot be silent anymore. It will be uh, a total deprivation and it will completely undermine his institution of any credibility and legitimacy. I mean, the, the credibility in the Global South of the International Criminal Court is already very, very low. And I say in Global South, I refer to states, but to human rights groups, to civil society. How then the court could be credible in any future investigation or right. any future cases in other parts of the
0: world? And you say, as you know, the ICJ um, decision has led to that effect in terms of, you know, in Belgium, sure. Netherlands, in terms of preventing arms sales potentially to Israel. But if the ICC then moved, uh, you could see huge domestic pressure in states like the US. In, the key, basically, I mean, the US is the, 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 uh, the main protector and defender of, of Israel and its impunity as the last superpower on Earth. Uh, but you could see that would make a huge difference probably in the internal political dynamics of those states and that would put pressure on israel because they're the ones providing weapons and diplomatic support for israel I agree.
1: and also from a legal perspective involving uh, third states in this case responsibility or individual mm-hmm. criminal responsibility for aiding and abetting the commission of international crimes there has already been a case in the us against biden blinken and biden in which a federal court uh, established that it did not have any jurisdiction but that genocide was plausible and implored the, the Biden administration to stop uh, financial and military contribution to Israel. So these are already important, I think, messages. And yeah. uh, after the intervention of the ICJ and potentially of the ICC, even these domestic proceedings I've seen are going to increase and the possibility that the third states or individuals from third states are going to uh, be brought to justice i think also would be a significant development
0: and indeed i've i've actually interviewed uh, a lawyer who's uh, leading the case um, mm-hmm. in britain to try and Take mm-hmm. legal action against British politicians. So you can see a, a kind of pincer movement of different legal sure. um of legal actions um in terms of both in terms of Israel but also the politicians in Western countries which have facilitated what's happened. Uh Trinistina, that was brilliant. That was so educational, learned a huge amount there. And I do think despite as we've discussed um the huge systemic failings and also you know the the credible frustrations with the prosecutor. It, it, you can. It is possible to see how things could shift in a way that people could not have imagined, certainly, um, a few months ago. Um, so that I think is something worth people mulling over. Uh, do share this video, uh, press like and subscribe. But Cristiano, thank you so so much. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Owen. It was a lovely to talk with you this morning.